Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. So let's uh, open up to 2 Samuel 11, if you'll go there tonight. And uh, this study we've been doing called Triumphs and Troubles. And uh, in chapter 11 here, we move from triumphs to troubles. <laughs> uh, that's kind of how they put that in the book. Uh, chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, it's truly a, it's a watershed moment in David's life. Mm-hmm. In the first 10 chapters, um, David's triumphs have been highlighted. That's what we've been studying together so far. But this is a dramatic turning point. Um, and, and troubles are what characterizes really the, the most majority of David's reign from here out on out. Uh, we're going to look tonight at something you've probably read before or studied before, but that account of David's sin of adultery and how that sin led to a number of other sins. And um, next week, we'll, Tommy will lead you through when the prophet Nathan confronts David about his sin and David confesses and repents. Um, but there's still consequences that result in trouble for David, and, and, and it's usually the case um, that trouble extends to his family, even to the nation that he leads. We don't ever sin in a vacuum. Our sin impacts other people. So um, I think just really for us to understand and and not get interrupted and have a good flow, we probably need to read all of chapter 11. I'll have Tommy read verses 1 through 27 for us this evening. All right, it says there, And it came to pass after the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. The woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down into thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day, and came the morrow, and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, 
and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, But now it's made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king. And if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Not a, uh, did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall, that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh unto the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went, came and showed David all Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us, and came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even to the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Yeah, so um, definitely <laughs> a turning point in David's life here. Mm -hmm. He makes a decision that is going to mm -hmm. lead to a bunch of other bad decisions, and, and really for the rest of his life. And yeah. And it all starts um, with, with really a sinful provision in the first two phrases of verse mm -hmm. 1. Uh, and then in the New King James, it says, in the spring of the year. Mm -hmm. And it says, at the time when the kings go out to battle. This gives us a few cultural insights about the military practices in, in David's time. Um, Israel had a wet season, winter, and they had a dry season, summer. And most of the time in military engagements, they would only happen in the summer uh, and Israel here, they're still facing threats from the Ammonites, and it's time for the nation's army to, to march out and fight them. And then the second thing we need to understand militarily, and something a little bit different than ours, is that the king would lead. Mm -hmm. Normally, the king would lead the nation's army into mm -hmm. um, battle. He would be out there with his men, and that's very different from the current way we uh, do things. Um, mm -hmm. It's rare that like even when I was in the military, you wouldn't really ever have anybody higher than a colonel, even in a forward <laughs> operating base, mm -hmm. and it would be only be lieutenants or captains who were out on patrol mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, but verse 1 tells us David departed from this typical practice instead of being out there leading his men into war. It says in verse 1, David sent. You're going to see that a lot in this first uh, few verses, David sent. Uh, here David sends Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, and then they besieged a city called Rabbah. But then it says, look at there, it says, David remained at Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And so it's just important we understand this, because from our perspective, that might seem a little innocuous or innocent, like what's the big deal? Of course, you know, why wouldn't the king uh, do that? But that's not the normal practice. And as we head into verse 2 and into the rest of the chapter here, we learn that David's choice to do this, it played some role in the sins that followed. Um, we're not told why David broke 
protocol here, like why he stayed back in mm -hmm. Jerusalem. Um, maybe he, he could have been sick. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might not have been necessarily a sinful thing. We don't know. Right. Um, might have been told by his advisors, you know, stay back to protect them. That does happen later when mm -hmm. David's son, Absalom, you know, has a coup attempt against David, and David's about to go out, and his men say, no, you stay back. We'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that might have been the consensus. I mean, Joab might have said, well, you're too, hot, you're too valuable a target. You're too um, a high, you know, high important person, a VIP, uh, mm -hmm. to take the chance of you being wounded or killed in, in battle. That, that could be. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what happened to David's predecessor. I mean, Saul was killed mm -hmm. in battle. He was shot with an arrow. So, I mean, that might be a, a real thing there. But it, mm -hmm. if, we, if we look at the entire context of this passage, I think God's probably teaching us something more here and that it's David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And, um, yeah. David's, David's life is trending a little bit differently the further along his kingdom yes. goes. You know, with, yeah. Like we talked about at the beginning, you know, you saw David praying and, and relying on God, and then like as it gets into 7 and 8 and 9, there's a little bit more like self-reliance and different things, and just a, a shift in focus, I mm -hmm. think, that's, that's caused a, him to think differently. very true. Mm -hmm. um, David's not doing here what he was supposed to be doing, and he's mm -hmm. not where. He, he was supposed to be. Yeah. And, and that in itself is not a sin, but it can be. Mm -hmm. It can be. Uh, Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make provision for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Um, so if, if you're where you don't belong as a Christian and if you're thinking about what you shouldn't be or you're watching or listening what you shouldn't be or you're surrounded by those who have a high potential of leading you away from the Lord, you ought not be surprised when you fall into sin. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's making provision for our flesh. Mm -hmm. and, and if we do that willingly or intentionally, we've actually already sinned. Because Jesus, remember God tells us there in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make provision for your flesh. Yeah. So if you've gone somewhere you shouldn't be and you know you're going to be tempted you've already sinned before you've even sinned because mm -hmm. you've disobeyed that command to not make provision for your your flesh yeah. um i think it was like a few years back obviously i think when we first started doing this you know co-teaching thing during covid mm -hmm. um we went through um a tool on a sunday night that i i shared with you and uh we get it from Desiring God Ministry. It's called Anthem. It's an acrostic, you know, where A stands for this and N. And um, it's a tool to really help you overcome any um, temptation to sin, a practical way to fight that. But the A in Anthem stands for avoid. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the best way right. to fight temptation is to avoid it mm -hmm. uh, altogether, to do everything you can to not enter into a place of temptation. Yep. Now, that's, that's impossible to achieve 100% in right. this world, mm -hmm. um, but it's a good starting place, and too mm -hmm. many Christians don't even try. They don't even, right. like, think that way, and um, mm -hmm. avoiding temptation is not even on their radar, and then they wonder why they face it so much or have such a hard time resisting it. Right, and in this case, especially, too, like, in, in the New Testament, we're told to flee lust, mm. flee youthful flee, lust, yeah. and so, like, this particular sin is a sexual sin, and right. so... This is something that you definitely need to be more avoiding, like avoiding, avoiding and fleeing, it. and yeah. you know, like all. So I mean, the, even more David should have been mm -hmm. alert to this and aware and, and not in the wrong place, in the, at wrong, the wrong place, time. At the wrong time, yeah. exactly. Even more so. And so I think we can learn a powerful lesson here from the first few verses in chapter eleven. We need to be careful, like you know, well, we think of that word careful. Be full of care. 
Like, I mean, yeah. um, be full of caution. God, God had Peter put it this way, be sober, like be on guard, be vigilant, because your mm -hmm. adversary, the devil, you know, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we're, yeah. we're to be careful. Mm -hmm. Well, and then what happens in verses 2 and 3? It says, David arose from his bed one evening. So he's, he's where he does, doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. He should be out with his men. Right. And he rose from his bed one evening, and he walked on the roof of the king's house. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this might be further proof of him being where he shouldn't be or not doing what he should do. It says he rose from his bed one evening. What's he doing in bed you know, in the evening? And mm -hmm. we don't know exactly what time that was. Like maybe... Maybe he went to bed at 10 p.m. We don't exactly know what evening was by the Hebrew, you know, usage of the term. But it's almost like I'm starting to get this idea where, you know, you were supposed to be leading your people out in battle, and now you're a king who's staying back. And mm -hmm. now you might be a king who's just laying around all day. Right. Again, doing what you shouldn't be doing, where you, where you shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this un helps us understand what David saw. And, and that's why I, I really, more than anything, why I, I draw that out. What did he see? He saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Mm -hmm. so, so what started as a sinful provision, David made provision for his flesh. He wasn't where he belonged. He should have been leading his men out in battle. Mm -hmm. He was intentionally being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Now it explodes into other sins. Mm -hmm. uh, and the sin was not seeing the woman bathing. Um, and again, this is evening. And, and that was a normal thing. They would bathe on their housetops. It was also a normal thing to walk on your housetop. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think she was, I think... Like, that just lends to the idea. She wasn't being an exhibitionist or, you know, I don't yeah. really see her being in the wrong here. Mm -hmm. uh, and that it wasn't a sin for David to see her bathing. But what was the last, what was the last word in verse 2? That she was very beautiful to what? Behold. Look at, right? To behold. Like, to, mm -hmm. so that's where the sin was. It wasn't that he saw her, that he didn't look away. Mm -hmm. He didn't walk away. He didn't go back inside. Right. He, he'd be held. He been a good opportunity for him to, you know, get up and get out to the battlefield. That's, that's right. Yeah. Just <laughs> just avoid knowing this whole knowing thing. where I should be, he beheld her, and that's where the sin <laughs> started. And then mm -hmm. it just erupts into a bunch of others. And so this section of scripture is clearly dwelling at this point with the sin of lust. Mm -hmm. But the, the practical applications we can gain from studying this, uh, it really pertains to any. And, Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, I was probably, I, I don't know, I was born in 74, so I was right on the tail end of that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it's been a problem for a lot of people, right? Um, and we'll get to that. That's actually, I mean, he's a president, so people in power, that's, and that's, I think, what's playing in a role here. Mm -hmm. Like, I do think what Tommy said, you see David, he's kind of changing how he operates and, and what he thinks and how he thinks. And he used to be this, like, lead-by-example type of guy, and he's like, oh, mm -hmm. now I'm king. And, and this whole kind of absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think that's, mm -hmm. we're starting to see that come into play here. Um, but, but let's say you haven't sinned like David has already here. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing really good. You're knocking it out of the park and avoiding sin. Um, and, and you're watching something on TV or you're scrolling on social media. And then all of a sudden something comes your way and you know you shouldn't be looking at it. And you didn't go looking for it. And you've been avoiding sin to the best of your ability. But in this sinful world, world temptation is going to come your way eventually. So now what do you do? And in that acrostic anthem, uh, A is avoid, N is say no. Yeah. Like, like to say, like if necessary, say it out loud and do it like right away. Yeah. Is that what David did here? No, he beheld. Mm -hmm. So yeah. he saw something he shouldn't see. 
and then he stayed look gazing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't turn, that's the T in anthem, right. avoid, say no, and then turn. Yep. We should be turning to the promises in God's word instead of um, what that temptation's claiming to offer us. Mm-hmm. If we don't turn and behold something better, we're going to fall into temptation. And so then we know in verse 3, there's another David sent. Yep. It says David sent and inquired about the woman. So it wasn't like he already sinned by not being where he should be. Right. And now he's sinned by seeing her and not turning away but looking at her. And now he's going even further. He's sent to find out about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a sinful provision, that, that first thing is what led to all of this. Not right. being where he should be, not doing what he should be doing, not seeing what he should be seeing. And now he's planning to do what he shouldn't be doing. Right. That's a rapid downfall mm-hmm. that's occurring here pretty quickly in three verses. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's kind of painful to visualize. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we all know, probably know this story pretty well, but as we read it again, you're just like, I don't know if you're like me, you're like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? It's happening, yeah. And, and so in the main body of this section, verses 3 to 17, mm-hmm. that sinful provision, I think it also leads to a sinful possession. Um, David finds out in verse 3, this woman is the daughter of one of his soldiers and mm-hmm. the wife of another one of his soldiers, and so she's married, and based on God's commandments against adultery, that should have put an immediate stop, and David should have confessed and repented of mm-hmm. how he had sinned right. already, but um, instead this, there's a compounding of sinful behaviors that goes on here, and verse 4 um, has another sending by David. He has his servants to go get her, so once he sent and found out about her, he has his servants go get her, and it yeah. says he took her and lay with her, and, and mm-hmm. this I think it's definitely, I mean, it's obviously a sinful possession. Yeah. She didn't belong to David. <laughs> she belonged to her husband Uriah, and she belonged to God, mm-hmm. um, to David's God. A- and here's where I think we're seeing David's sinful provision come into play. We got a king here who's, like Tommy said, he's thinking much differently than he used to. Um, he sees himself differently than he used to, and he sees the people that he's ruling over a lot differently yeah. than he used to. And, and I think that phrase, absolute power, corrupts absolutely. I think it's true. I mean, David had always in the past, he had led his army into battle, mm-hmm. and now we see him stay back. Yeah. And I th- there's like this sense of entitlement. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm king, and I don't have to do that, and, and I can have whatever I want, even yeah. the people. Yeah, and I think sometimes just, just thinking about this here just now, but, you know, we have a temptation in our lives where, okay, maybe not in the same specific sin here but you know at the first part of this study in second samuel david was ending this time period of being on the run you know and he's on the run and so he's praying a lot yeah and then he's now Mm. he's the king and it's the first time he's been king you know and he's judah and then israel so he's praying a lot then too because it's a new thing it's a new position it's a new job whatever you want to look at it as but then you know that comfort kind of sets in and i think sometimes that temptation is the same for us Mm. like we have a, a troubled time in our life or we have something we're going through and we're like, man, I got to pray about this every day. There's a change coming or there's something happening. I'm going to pray, pray, pray. And then the change happens and we're like, okay, well, this is brand new for me. And I, I mean, it's a new job, a new position, a new something. Something is, so I, I'm, we're focused on that. But then as, as our comfort begins to come in and as our life continues on forward, we think, well, you know what? I'm okay now. Yeah. Maybe I don't have to pray as much as I did before. And so, you know, I think there's a, it's, it's a progression, at least in that general sense, that can happen to any one of us. Mm. If we're not careful and cautious, remember that we need God all the time. We mm. need that relationship with God all the time. We need that prayer all the time with the Lord and not just when things are not going well or, 
or when something's new and different and we're trying to navigate, you know, even when things are going really well, we, we got to make sure that relationship with God and that prayer relationship is continual. Because I think that we'll, we'll fall into the same trap of just being lackadaisical or, you know what I mean? Maybe not apathetic, maybe not the right word, but, you know. What I mean? It's just, getting there, though. You know, you're getting in that direction. So it's constant prayer relationship. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we see a sense that, like, as king of Israel, David feels like he can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And um, that the success that he had, the blessings that God has given him, that they were maybe deserved, and, and then now he's above the law mm-hmm. type of a deal. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's exactly the messed up kind of thinking that led David to go down this path. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that possession doesn't stop with how he views Bathsheba, because obviously he went and got her. There wasn't she had she did not have a choice in the matter. I mean, he was king, so mm-hmm. um, like he sees her as a commodity yeah. to uh, fulfill his lust. But it doesn't stop with her. Uh, it's clear that's also how he views Joab. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of his his right hand men, his top leading generals. It's clear that's how he views Uriah. Mm-hmm. and the other soldiers in his army. So once, da- once David finds out Bathsheba's pregnant, uh, he sends a message to the commander Joab. He says, send Uriah home from battle. And in verses 6 to 13, I mean, we see David go to these great lengths to try to get Uriah to come back from the battlefront, sleep with his wife, to kind of cover up this whole sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and boy, there's a pretty clear contrast here between Uriah's loyalty to mm-hmm. David and to his nation and to his God and David's unfaithfulness and disloyalty. Right. Um, and to one point, David even gets Uriah drunk in verse 13 and yep. trying to cover this up. And it's just like you just see how our sin, sin that's not dealt with, tends to spread and compound mm-hmm. into other sins and start affecting other people. Yep. And none of this works, so David has to escalate this perverted plan mm-hmm. to hide his sins. Uriah's got to die now. That's what David's left with. Mm -hmm. And so David can take Bathsheba as a wife. That's the Mm -hmm. only way in David's mind he can solve this situation. And so he tells Joab to make sure that Uriah is on the very front lines and then in the heat of the battle to pull back all the surrounding troops uh, around him. And and let's just read verse, um, I'll read verse 17 again. It says, then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Mm-hmm. So was it just Uriah? That's who we always focus on. Like he killed Uriah. It wasn't just Uriah. Right. It says other soldiers fell too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of collateral damage here right. um, that right. was a result of David trying to cover his, his sin. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's a sinful possession. He sees mm-hmm. these people as commodities he can use however he wants. Right. And And in the same act, making Joab basically a murderer, a, co- yeah. a co-conspirator, accomplice yeah. to the murder by having him be the one to give the order. So It's just such a crazy way mm-hmm. that, that David, like this is the extent to which he values their lives mm-hmm. and so different from how God views people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Just covered up. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, you, it's just like, yeah, that's a great, another great example of how. 
David's not thinking like yeah. the David we know. Mm-hmm. Like the, the man after God's own heart. Yeah. 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 And, that's, and that's what you see. Like that's, I mean, if we were honest with ourselves, we, would, we probably would look back at our own lives oh, and yeah. see if we, were, we weren't thinking straight when something happened. And that's, that's an effect of sin in our life is that mm-hmm. our, our ration, our reasoning is not right. We're not thinking the right way. We look at things differently. We mm-hmm. look at people differently. And it's all, it's affecting everything all together, you know. And I think it's a good time to think about Uriah. I mean, he had a, uh, a really, you know, high moral character. Mm. This guy would not go back to the comfort of his own home because he knew all of the Even with people. the king's order, like the yeah. king told him to, he's go like, back no, no, and he, I can't and, do that. And, and a mess of meat, a present, here's yeah. this fancy feast or whatever I'm going to send with you, and I'm still not going to go he's back. Like, I'm going to go sleep with the servants. Yeah. No. No, no, not Solomon. No, no that was, but Bathsheba is Solomon's Bathsheba. mother. Yeah. This baby passes away. We're gonna find out next week. Yeah. Um, as one of, as one of the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but David ends up marrying Bathsheba, and then they have a, they have Solomon mm-hmm. and a number of others. Yeah. I think there's actually some before Solomon mm-hmm. in the chrono the lineage. You get yeah. Kitty. Like, I don't think I like, I don't think culturally she could. I mean, in the Old Testament. Like uh, in the law, like in Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, you know, it, it did kind of say that you're supposed to cry out, like if somebody was trying to to rape you. That's what happened here. David raped Bathsheba. I mean, that's just how we have to put it. It sounds like, but I mean, because he was in a position of power, he's the king, and like, yeah, no, she, there was no no. He sent men to get her, you know, soldiers, yeah. his mm-hmm. his people. So there was no, yeah. There was no saying no um, at that point. And, you know, I, and I, we see David's, I mean, the, the last point here in verses 18 to 27, David's sinful performance, and we've already seen that, like uh, all these sins that are performed by David. He made provision for his flesh. He didn't look away. He beheld Bathsheba in lust, and that led to him for all practical purposes, raping her. And then, I mean, there's even sins, like to me, there's sin in manipulating Uriah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was lying to Uriah, basically. Yeah. He was manipulating him, and then finally murdering him, mm-hmm. as well as other soldiers. And, and I think we could say sinful practices, but I, I chose the word on this third point, sinful performance, because was all of this done in secret? Like, David's trying to cover his sin, but it really wasn't done in secret. Right. Who knew about this? Everybody. Yeah, pretty much everybody. A lot of yeah. people did. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. The power yeah. over the servants, over her, over you, every single one of them. You know, mm-hmm. he said, Don't get me wrong, or I'll kill you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they knew about it. Yeah. Bathsheba knew about it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Joab had a pretty good idea of what was going right. on, especially when he tells the messenger that goes back to David, and he's like, so if David gets mad about this, tell him, hey, hey. what you wanted happened. Uriah yeah. is dead also. Mm-hmm. So he knows that there's something going on here yeah. as well. And, um, I mean, it's just really sad because um, what kind of testimony is David communicating here? <laughs> I mean, this guy who wrote so many of the Psalms that testify about God's goodness and how we're to live for the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's all that is ruined in a moment. Like, well, in a couple of moments. And, um, Don't you think, though, that him going through that probably kept him 
Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get to that next week. Tommy gave me the Tommy gave I me gave the ruffle part. One. Yeah, That's he's right. gonna have the good one next thing. week with uh, yeah. Nathan confronting David and David confessing and writing Psalms like Psalm 51 that are mm. so dear to us because they're such a beautiful mm. pattern for us to use when we repent and confess sin. Yeah. But um, I mean, David's not there yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's, he wrote, we always talk about Psalm 51, but he wrote other Psalms too that talk about this period in his life. Mm-hmm. Psalms that say, man, I, it was the worst time of my life mm-hmm. because I was living away from you. I was living in sin. I knew mm-hmm. I was wrong and I was hiding it from you. And yeah. I mean, literally it was like cancer eating me from inside and my mm-hmm. bones hurt, you know, and I mean, Psalm 22, Psalm yeah. 22 like physical, mm-hmm. there's physical ramifications from living mm-hmm. like David's living here. Which I think is a good point for us too, is recognizing that as long as we're in that position, we're hiding something. There's yeah. the same thing for us, really. We could have those same things. You're always concerned someone's going to find out or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we. this is a political and spiritual leader of Israel. Mm-hmm. And this is a testimony he's having right now. And it's, it's not just a dark day in David's life. It's a dark day for the kingdom of Israel mm-hmm. um, when their leadership is like this. So uh, David gives this message to the messenger to take back to Joab. Thus shall you, verse 25, thus shall, you, thus shall you say to Joab, don't let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen mm-hmm. your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. That's kind of cold, isn't it? Yeah. And callous. Possibly, but I think it's more like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he could yeah. be. I think he's basically, like, I think David's ignorant enough to think that Joab doesn't really know what's going on. And yeah. he's like, ah, Uriah died. It, it happens to this guy, it happens to this guy. Yeah. You know, and it's kind uh, of a flippant thing. Yeah, flippant, he's just callous like, ah, he attitude. Died, whatever. Don't worry about it. Don't let, you know. You know, and Bathsheba learns of Uriah's death, and we find out, you know, in verse 27, David takes her as a wife. But look at the end of verse 27. This thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Mm-hmm. It sure did. And it's not just the thing. It's all the things, starting from being in the wrong place at the wrong time to, to you know, beholding this woman and then sending yeah. for her. And then, you know, um, all of that displeased God. And then, then murder. And, mm-hmm. um, and David coldly tells Joab, you know, eh, don't get upset. Sword devours one as well as the other. Uh, David's testimony is so completely ruined in, in all of this. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we understand that the worst effect of our of our sins is, uh, as Christians, is a ruined testimony. I mean, we might have physical consequences. David's going to have some. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the horrible effect that our sin has on others, um, we're going to see that. And mm-hmm. what happens as a result of this next week when Tommy leads you through chapter 12. But um, in the end of chapter 12, Nathan, God has Nathan tell David, because even after confessing and repenting of the sin, um, God says, the sword will never depart from your house. So David so flippantly here, you know, says, eh, sword devours one as well as the other. That's going to come back on him. Mm-hmm. Because when Nathan, even after David confesses and repents, God has Nathan say, rest of your life the sword won't depart from your house David because you have despised me yeah and um you know our our sin is never secret I think something we can learn from this don't fall into that way of thinking like David like you you can't hide it numbers 32 23 be sure your sin will find you out in the story of Achan there um and it's actually a grace of God that he does that to us that he exposes our sin so that we can 
deal with it, confess and repent of it, but, but the damage it does and how our testimony is destroyed and, and how God's glory is veiled mm-hmm. by our sin it is, is um, I mean, it, it's not worth it. And we think, like, we got here, well, this is lust and murder. These are the bad sins, right? Like, we had to categorize them. Stay away from that. But how, how did this all start? They've been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. not looking away when he saw something. He might not even been going looking for it, but he saw something, but he didn't turn away. He, that's how this all started, mm-hmm. a, a sinful provision and him not being vigilant. And that led to a sinful possession, this, this goofed up, like really perverted way of thinking about people like commoditizing them and uh, having an unbiblical, ungodly worldview. Uh, there's a Puritan preacher and theologian. Uh, um, his name's Richard Sibbs. Sibbs, not Richard Sibbett, right? Um, <laughs> but he said, in all temptations, let us not consider what is offered or promised, but what we shall lose. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to fight temptation. Mm-hmm. You know, stop thinking about what Dave, the devil's telling you. Like, hey, you want, look what this, this will do for you. Say yes. And, you know, think about what you're going to lose. And, I mean, it's a great way to battle it if you were to give in to that temptation. The worst thing we can lose is our testimony as followers of Jesus. And um, mm-hmm. Pastor Johnny Artavanis, he said, every Christian life is an advertisement for Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? Do you realize your life is an advertisement for Jesus Christ? You know, um, does, does, does Jesus really grant peace, a peace that passes all understanding? I mean, that's what you would say. But is that what people know about how you live? Mm-hmm. And does, um, is Jesus really more satisfying than what this world has to offer? Of course, you'd say yes. Yeah. But is that what your life is saying? Is that what your life is advertising mm-hmm. by what you, what you value and what you do? Is the joy of the Lord really your strength? Mm-hmm. Or is it really easily sapped away or, or you know, go to something else? And so God's designed it so that our lives, so that our testimony, it's an answer to this world's questions about whether or not the gospel is true or the gospel is for real. And a, a sinful provision, a, a sinful provision, sinful performance like we see here, it, it tells them it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it tells them it's not. So, but thank God for grace. Yep. I have to end here because that's where this passage ends. Sorry. But you get to. Was, in my defense, <laughs> it was just the next chapter. Yeah, of the it just book. happened this way. <laughs> but next week, you all get to hear about the um, David's confession and, mm. and repentance. And yeah. I mean, that's all of our story, really. If we've turned to Jesus as Savior, we've all yeah. we've all been where we didn't, might not have had Nathan, but we had the Holy Spirit at some moment that yeah. reminded us that we're a sinner, and we yeah. turned and confessed our sin and turned in faith to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, yeah. No matter what we've done, no matter how far we've gone, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I think what Kitty said is really true. I mean, here's a man after God's own heart, mm-hmm. you know, the author of, of so many books in the Bible, uh, a man that God made a covenant with, mm-hmm. that from him would come the Messiah, you know, an mm-hmm. everlasting covenant. Yep. And, um, yep. But he was a human being just like us. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and God's grace that was given to him that you'll study about next week, it's also available to us. Yeah. So. And I wonder, too, along some of those lines, I know we've, Psalm 19 was many Wednesday nights ago, but I don't know when I tried to find or whenever that particular psalm may have been written or not or what part of David's life. And mm. all I could find online anyway was maybe towards the end of his yeah. life. So, you know, maybe just a little bit of... A positive note here at the end. I think David did learn something. Oh yeah. And move on because if you come to Psalm 19, I thought about this this afternoon. Verse 12 and 13. 
of Psalm 19. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and shall be innocent from the great transgression. And I think like, I was just thinking about, I was reminded of those two verses this afternoon and, and looking over and thinking through this lesson tonight because if, if this did come later in David's life, he certainly knew that, okay, these small things yeah. led to this big thing and I may not always be aware of these secret errors, so keep me from them. And let me not be presumptuous in my sin, meaning let me not plan this stuff out. David got to the point where he's planning this stuff out. Mm. I'm going to go get her. I'm going to bring her up here. I'm going to murder Uriah. I'm going to do these <laughs> things. Like he's planning all these ways to hide. He's committing presumptuous sins yeah. according to what yeah. that word presumptuous means in, in the original Hebrew. So keep me from those and don't let them have dominion over me because I think David well, realized did. that. And he it said, had you know dominion what? over his life for, mm -hmm. and we don't know exactly how long this yeah. time period is, but it's probably a couple months that, yeah. that all this went on. And, and that's a long time to be away from the Lord. It is. You know, it um, is. And it's a good prayer for us. Those two verses are good prayers for us too because we don't. It said, uh, when I was studying this, they said most people believe, like if we look at the events of David's life, in a time, he was about 60 when this happened. Mm -hmm. I did not realize that. I guess I thought it would probably been much, a good bit younger, but he was about mm -hmm. 60 years old when he, he had this fall into sin with adultery and murder. Yeah. And, uh, Who were the Hittites? The Hittites. Who were they? they were people that had been in the land a long time. Mm -hmm. So Uriah wasn't Israelite by birth. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was a proselyte convert like, yeah. to, to Judaism. Yeah, but they weren't smitten. The Hittites yeah. were, yeah, like a northern kingdom where mm -hmm. Turkey is today. Yeah. Here's they, a fun fact. Are you ready? What? Voltaire, the great French philosopher, said that the Bible was untrue because in the 1700s there was, they didn't know historically that the Hittites were a real people. They hadn't found any yeah. archaeological evidence. Only the Bible and talked then, about them. Only it. the Bible yeah. talked about them. And then years later after he died, they were like, oh. There's a whole civilization of people called the Hittites. How about that? And they found a bunch of so, evidence for I mean, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Uriah was, was, he a, was Hittite. a Hittite. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Eliam was her father. Mm -hmm. And Ahithophel, mm -hmm. I believe, her grandfather. Um, he'll come up in the story later. Yeah. Um, when, when Absalom has a coup, more troubles ahead. Yeah, more troubles. So, any other comments or questions?